What's up, folks? Welcome to episode 18 of the Adjacent Hex podcast. My name is Zach, and joining me, just as usual, is Doug. What's going on, man? Lots of stuff. Getting ready. Uh, still still working on the house. Yeah. Uh, the upstairs is looking good. Excellent. Uh, downstairs, one of the rooms still needs some work, and of course, the, the most important room, the game room, still is under construction. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, but, you know, all in due time. Yeah. I mean, I find that game rooms like they're they're sort of an everlasting work in progress mm. i mean i just made the decision to uh, well while we were at pax i guess i made the decision to invest in a board game table of sorts mm-hmm. and i went to some of the vendors and i was you know just looking at prices and they were asking like two grand or something like that for an entry level geek table. chic was there right geek chic was there yeah yeah that they're pricey oh absolutely <laughs> that's some high-end pricey stuff and my brother at, at easter was like you know you know we can build this right mm. and i'm like wait come again and so my my brother and my cousins and i were like yeah we could do this and this and that and we could have a fully functional board gaming table in a matter of a weekend mm-hmm. and i was like well yeah let's sign me up let's do it how much and they were like i don't know this parts will cost you probably 250 if you supply us with food and a place to crash we'll have it done <laughs> i'm like my parents are going away for the week i can use the garage and you guys can crash in their house <laughs> so we've got plans to take over the the parents house there you go yep should be good it's it's house sitting it, yes yes yeah it, i mean joff built when they moved into their new place our friends megan and joff he went ahead and built his own tape yeah and i i feel like the ability to sort of customize it and tailor it to exactly what i need out of a gaming table is Mm going to be invaluable whereas trying to buy it off the shelf is just it's not gonna it's not gonna cut it well i mean if i had ten thousand dollars to trap to drop on a on a custom made game table sure Um, right but i'll i'll probably end up making my own i mean i've got tables right now Mm -hmm. but eventually the plan is to get like a gaming table down here the other thing i've seen online is people who buy the kits Mm-hmm. Or they'll sell like blueprints, right? For like fifty bucks. Yeah. And then you go, you just go make it yourself. So uh, a lot of options out there. Yeah. Uh, how about you? What's up? Well, I guess you just told us you're I making a game. Kind of did. I mean, it's it's been a busy month. Like yeah. So yeah. I just started doing live streaming work with Handle Arbor Games, our friends who do the uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse digital product. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do that every Saturday, and you know that takes up a ton of time because I'm always doing research for one thing or another. Or, you know, trying different scenarios to sort of get myself ready or whatever. Yeah. No, it just seems, I, th- I think it's maybe because it's spring. Yeah. Uh, but I just have not had a free day to myself in a long time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Whether it's house related or work related or whatever it is, there's just, there's always something going on. You know, it's all good. It's all in the right direction. Oh, absolutely. It's, Onward and it's a lot of stuff. <laughs> but like, yep. it's just, it's insanity. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't given me as much time to game as I'm accustomed to or would like to have. Mm-hmm. But I still got a few things in. Oh, uh, yeah? Go on. I think I think you're the same way. I think we both kind of haven't got to play as much as we'd super like to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we got some stuff in. But let's talk about something we both played. Well, actually, you played and I watched. Yes. Okay, I know exactly where you're going with that. We didn't get to it last episode. Yeah. Uh, Because you actually played it, and I only watched a couple demos, I'm going to let you go ahead and take the lead on that one. Okay, so a few months ago on Kickstarter, our friends at Greater Than Games, we talk about them a lot, they had a product, 
that I wasn't super keen on. I was like, okay, I love the '80s. I love you know things like Tron, and the you know the neon colors and the the sort of fast-paced excitement style of of the sort of our imagination of the 1980s. Because let's face it, we were tiny children in the '80s, <laughs> and they came up with this product called Laser Riders. Now, I saw them demoing it at Gen Con last year, and I was like, okay, it's really gimmicky. You know, uh, I, I had at the time just seen Motley Crue for the last time. I was like, I was kind of done with it. Still had a Guns N' Roses show coming up, and you know, it, it, I was, was kind of getting out of that thing. But our friend Eric saw this game on Kickstarter and was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's a racing game. <laughs> it's neon colors. It's the most 1980s kind of thing I've ever seen. The box is stylized like, well, for lack of better, lack of better description, it looks like an adult film box. <laughs> I gotta look it up now. Oh, it's 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 the coolest. I mean, our, our my friend Jen, our friend Jen, uh, did the artwork or did the um, layout for the box design? Oh, I and didn't I, realize she did that. She did, and uh, she did a lot of the art direction on that game. And I understand, like, in order to house the components, it had to be slightly oversized as compared to like a regular VHS tape box. But I, I did have to make that joke to her, and she was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. Does kind of look like that." <laughs> it it does. It looks like an old school VHS tape. It's even like got the distressed look. It. Frankly, if I held up my uh, Star Wars VHS tapes right next to it, mm-hmm. you would hardly be able to discern the difference. So it is, like, thematically and aesthetically one of the coolest products I could possibly have imagined. But, like I said, at Gen Con, I wasn't super excited about it. I was like, okay, it's another, you know, dice thing with some things that move around and you try not to run into each other. Mm-hmm. It's Tron on the tabletop. And I was like, if I want to play Tron... I'm just going to go play Tron. Oh, like the cycle races? I, yes, exactly. But once I st- started seeing more and more of it and seeing Eric's excitement, I was like, all right, I kind of have to give this a try. And I did. And I loved it. So Laser Riders, you can your your rider is has the objective to collect hexes from around the board that are scattered randomly. You actually toss them onto the table. as a little dexterity component to it. And you have different gears that you can shift your laser into i guess i wasn't super clear on that um and depending on the gear you're in you can go faster or slower you can turn sharper or turn not so sharp and if you crash into somebody else's laser womp womp you go back to where you started the laser is kind of like like when Iceman and the x-men makes that ice bridge and kind of soars on it yeah absolutely and in fact it gives very so much you're right feel. right your ship is flying on your laser track yes yep yeah yeah, I'm, I just want to mention real quick. I I pulled up the cover. Mm-hmm. It it's got a very much Atari video game. Yeah, I've actually got a whole boatload of Atari games next to me. You're you're right. It it does. Uh, yeah, it does look that, exactly like that. I mean, I'm kind of dating myself here, but uh, first system I ever owned was an Atari. You know, we we played it with the the designer, who is of course very excited about it, and as well he should be. He's got a really cool game on his hands. And, uh, you know, it's got all this neat art. They've even rolled in some of the Sentinels, the multiverse characters as uh, promotional. And you don't, it, all, all it does is add a different, like, character card and punch out. They, it all, mm-hmm. it, they all work with the same components from the Laser Riders core game. So there's, you're not really missing anything other than, like, a slight tweak to the game by using the Sentinels characters. There are asymmetrical powers, though. There, there are. Um, mm-hmm. And what I noticed from playing my 
my demo, they don't come up as often as, or they don't come up often enough to make a huge game-changing impact. Like, they do change the game slightly, but it's not a massive, like, overloading game change, uh, which is really cool. I'm looking at one of the characters, the Galactic Wave Rider. Right. He's like a cross between Cyclops, the Silver Surfer, and like a 80s beach dude. Yeah, absolutely. He's got the, like the funky swim trunks and yeah. the funky surfboard. It's pretty cool. The the laser shark or whatever it is. Yeah, it's is, a hammerhead shark with it, like armor. Who, who puts a hammerhead shark on a laser? But it's that's that's the cool part of it. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> And uh, so I, I'm sure. very fortunate. Uh, Eric for Christmas got me. I think it was for Christmas, got me a copy of Laser Riders. He backed the Kickstarter for me as well. So I will be getting a copy of Laser Riders. The Phantom Cosmonaut. He looks kind of like uh, fans of Doctor Who. Yeah. Vashti Narada. He looks like Vashti Narada meets like Skeletor. Yeah, you know? it's like a, a skeleton inside of a spacesuit. Yeah. Type thing. It's uh, it's really neat. It's pretty so cool it's, looking. It's gonna be a cool game. I'm really really stoked about it. Yeah, like I said, I got to watch a couple of demos. Uh, not really my type of thing. Racing games in general aren't something I yeah I'm not play a lot of. I'm not super big um, on. Them. But it looked a lot like a lot of fun, and uh, I'll be excited to try it when your copy comes in. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm looking at the art. The art is cool. <laughs> yeah, it's really neat. And just touching on since while we're talking on uh, games that we played this month, I've been talking a lot about our Arkham Horror game, our monthly game. Mm-hmm. And I am proud to say we finally beat. Shubnegraf this month. Mm. So are you all done? Or no? Oh gosh, no. We're, we, it means we move forward. Uh, we add you just beat the, the guy who crushed you. Yes, five times she 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 crushed us six times. We okay. actually managed to this past weekend. We've actually managed to jam two games in one day purely because our first game lasted all of half an hour. Uh, I'm assuming that was a loss. Uh huh. That was number six. Yep. Okay. Um, <laughs> Alex had this harebrained strategy that he put together of not going through gates and just trying to mitigate the Arkham proper, and it backfired horribly on him. Todd had enough elder sign or uh, clue tokens to seal off three gates mm-hmm. before we even bothered to look at the gates, and then by the time we did, the sixth one had shown up and we lost. Just overwhelmed. Yep. But the second game, uh, we were down to just the characters in the, the the last eight characters in the box, the ones nobody had any inkling to play with, and they got there. And they surprised you, They huh? sure did. I, I told the guys, like, we may have to keep this team together, get the band back together next month if we're taking <laughs> on the uh, Lurker at the Threshold. So I mean, so that's fun, though. Sometimes it's nice to play with a character, be forced to play with a character you wouldn't normally try. And yeah. It gets you to think about the game a little differently. And, you know, yeah. I mean, you had a good outcome. Oh, we did. Like. So did you manage to get anything else to the table? Yeah, I got a couple things in. Um, two games. Two games I got in. okay so not a couple okay so the first one was a game that eric had actually shown jesse like two years ago Mm -hmm. at one of our board game days right uh just a 15 minute little just a filler game Mm -hmm. a a little press your luck game and she didn't know what it was called and she kept telling me about it and it's like no you're rolling dice and you're in a dungeon and blah 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 and i'm like is it dungeon quest is it this and that no idea so anthony came over Mm -hmm. Uh, i hadn't seen him in a while he came over and brought over as a little housewarming gift this little indie board and card game called dragon slayer and it turns out that was the game jesse had played and wanted to buy two years ago oh well there you go yeah so dragon slayer it's just like i said it's a little push your luck game Mm -hmm. Uh, we played a two-player game took like 15 minutes it plays up to five I think. And so there's 
you've got three dice as the warrior, and there's a blue dragon, a green dragon, and a red dragon. And what you do is you take your three warrior dice, and there's, say I'm going after the green dragon, which is the middle. Mm -hmm. Blue is easiest, red is hardest. I take the three dragon dice, my three warrior dice, and I just roll them. And if you get certain symbols, you get to re-roll them. If there's fire, if you have a shield that you rolled, if you roll a fire and you don't roll a shield, you lose a die. If you roll a fire but have a shield, you block it and re-roll the dice. So essentially what's happening is you're rolling the colored dice for the dragon and you're trying to get head, wings, and a tail. Mm -hmm. From your hero dice, you're trying to get an axe. And you're trying to do this before you get hit with enough fireballs and lose all of your dice. Interesting. You can stop after you beat any dragon. So I think the blue dragon is worth uh, two points. The green dragon is worth four. And the red dragon is worth six. Okay. So it's basically beat the green dragon, beat the blue dragon. Do I have enough dice? Do I want to try beating the red dragon? And it's just a little push-your-luck game. For a for a quick 15-minute filler, lots of fun. And obviously not a high-strategy game. It's just a quick dice-chucking, press-your-luck thing. I keep saying press-your-luck. But that's what it is. Because I played like a coward. <laughs> I jumped out way ahead, way early, and kind of forced Jessie to go for everything she could every round. And it's the first to 40 points, I think, wins. I got okay. to 39 points. And she had, like, a 12-point round surpassed me and won the game. I missed it by a point. <laughs> See, I, I'm a little surprised by that, honestly, because you're actually, you're usually really, really good at pr- Press Your Luck games. I think what happened was I got kind of too far ahead too early. Okay. And then just played it safe and kind of coast into the win. And there's also, there's also this token. Every player gets one token. And what you can do is, say you go after the green dragon. And, or the, the blue dragon, and you get through with all your dice and you're fine. Then you go after the green dragon, but he hits you once, so you lost one of your dice. Okay, but you beat the green dragon. Normally you could stop there and get your six points. Mm-hmm. I have a token that I can use once per game that I make you keep going. Oh. But what happens is you. I think you still get half your points, even if you fail or something. I'd have to look at the rules again. But if you succeed, you get double points but the person who played the token also gets i think three points so it's kind of you wanna you wanna push it and use your token at the right time to kind of make the other player go a little too far but i got way ahead played like a coward and jesse was able to surpass and destroy me so (laughs) i always find it funny when when i mean for those who don't know jesse is an incredibly mild-mannered human being but we do occasionally refer to her as a monster because yeah, she does things comes to exactly gaming. like that. Yeah, she plays to win. <laughs> yep. She does not hold back when it comes to games. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I liked it. I would like to play with more than two players. Mm-hmm. It plays great as a two-player game, but it'd be interesting because every player, like I said, only gets one of those tokens. Right. And when you kind of have to save it and wait and see who you use it on, I, yeah, I think so that interesting. Add a little, yeah, a little more dynamic. So, uh, but a lot of fun. If you're looking for a, a cheap, quick little dice chucker, just as a filler, I would I would recommend it. I like it. Nice. Anything else for you this month? Uh, well, yeah. The other one I got to play is a game I bought 
a couple months ago. I think I bought it back in January. Mm-hmm. It's Inish, I N I S. Okay, I've seen it. I don't think I've heard. I don't think I've heard too much about it. I'll be honest. Well, so I originally looked at it because it's from Natigo. Yep. And they did Kemet, which is one of my my favorite games, uh, and Cyclades, which I've never got to play. But uh, Thomas and and Dan, the guys from Banterbox, both really like Cyclades and mm-hmm. and say I should play it all the time, but I haven't. Um, <laughs> so so just because it was Natigo, I gave it a look, mm-hmm. and I wasn't crazy about the box art. Yep. And then I saw, I I don't know, I just saw the kind of game it was, and I guess I'll explain that real quick. So, the object of the game is two to four players, and you are an Irish clan, all moving to a new island, and you're trying to become chief of the island. Huh. So, what happens is, everybody starts, you start with as many tiles as you do players, and you build the board as the game goes. So it's got that mechanic. Um, the round starts by everybody getting four cards, and you do a draft mechanic. Okay. Take one, pass three, take two. What's interesting about the draft mechanic, though, is that in most games, like, say, Seven Wonders, I draft a card, that's my card. I'm stuck with it. Right. In Inish, say I get four cards, and none of them are ones I want right now. I can take a card, and when I get three cards from the next person when i choose two mm-hmm. one of them doesn't have to be the one i chose before oh so, so you can put something back so even though i took it right i can still pass it on later oh that's that's yeah. clever so it's it's pretty interesting and you go around and you play cards i mean essentially on your turn is you play a card you can pass and the third thing and this is interesting is you can take a pretender to the throne token Mm -hmm. because there are three ways to win the game one you can have one unit in six different spaces two you can be the chief which is having the most units in the space Uh and have six other units of other armies under your control or three, you can have units in spaces where there are six temples. There's a couple different ways to win, uh, but what's interesting is if you meet that win condition, the game doesn't end. You have to take a pretender to the throne token, and you don't check for a winner until the beginning of the next round. So Uh if you take that token, everybody knows you've met a win condition right, right and they can try and screw up your game that's intriguing it is really interesting especially because say if you if you have that win condition met mm-hmm. and you didn't take your token next right. round comes around you don't win even if you've met the win condition you have to take that thing and then if two people have met win conditions they kind of cancel each other out and then they have to do other things they can either fulfill a second win condition in the same round or they cancel out and you play a whole nother round i mean it's just it's a really wild game so anyway i ended up i ended up winning this game because there are things you can get that are called deeds yep and they can allow you to sort of sub in these tokens for meeting the numbers required in a win condition and so i was playing jesse anthony and Corey, and on the board it looked like i was way behind Mm-hmm. But I was the only one in the game who had deeds, and I met half my win condition by playing those deeds and just kind of came out of nowhere. Did, like, this big passing a turn and playing cards at certain times, and I got a right special power, and I don't know. 
It was really cool. What was the whole point of that? That was the end condition. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do have to say, before, before we move on, I, I do want to say I love the idea of sort of shaking up the traditional draft mechanic. Mm. Um, when I was playing Magic the Gathering uh, a lot, when Conspiracy came out, they, they introduced cards that change the way you draft. Okay. Things like what you just said, put a card back in, from your from your drafted pile into the into the pack and move it forward. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, draft the whole pack all at once and then you sit out the rest of this draft round. Or, you know, just cool stuff like that. And it kept the draft fresh. It makes it so mm-hmm. it doesn't go stagnant on you. Most of my friends were like, this is stupid. Why are we changing something? That why why are we trying to fix something that's that's not broken? Right. And I was like, well, maybe we should look at it from a different perspective. Maybe we look at it from the perspective of it's not broken, just different, um, <laughs> just in need of change. And it for the people who who were willing to to do that, it became much more uh, much more fresh and uh, playable. I hear. Well, the other thing too that um, finish does is. Every round. You know how in Love Letter, you shuffle up the cards and you put one aside? Yes. Inish does the same thing. Nice. So one card is always going. The other thing is, at the beginning of the round, the Bren, who is the first person, our first player, Mm -hmm. is whoever controls the capital city. Oh. That person can change. Right. So you can have, like in our our game, Corey or I was always the first player. Mm -hmm. We were the two guys who had control. But the other thing the Bren does is flip a coin and it can change the direction that you play in, too. Oh, neat. So you can go clockwise or counterclockwise, depending on the round. The re- I went through the whole description of the game, but what was what was interesting was because originally that gameplay didn't intrigue me. And so I kind of looked into it, kind of brushed it off, and then I kept seeing reviews for it, mm-hmm. getting like 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10. The guys on Shut Up and Sit Down said it was better than both Kemet and Cyclades, which is really saying something, especially since Kemet is one of my favorite games. And they, they love both of them, too. So I had dismissed this game pretty much outright. Yeah. And then I started looking. I don't know. I just I didn't let me go. And then I saw a review. I think it was because I saw Shut Up, Sit Down. And then I went and saw the guys at the Dice Tower review it. And then I went and looked up, you know, one or two or three other reviews. And just across the board, everybody was saying this is an amazing game incredibly simple rules but the way these cards interact with each other all the different things you can do really was just gripping and it, and it's the kind of game one of the reviews said that it wasn't the game that everybody likes their first play uh-huh. because you don't necessarily get it and you can't see i mean even the fifth round of the game in a game with only 17 cards Cards were coming around to me that I hadn't seen. See, that's awesome. Plus, there's a big stack of, like, special sort of one-shot cards. Mm-hmm. Just just so you know, there's there's the cards you draft. Then if you control an area, there's a card you get for the round. Uh-huh. And then there's... Those are the yellow cards. And then there's the red cards, which, like I said, are cards you can earn. And they're sort of one-shot powers. Uh, very specific uses, but very powerful. Um, but I played Inish, and, you know... This was a case where I am super glad I listened to the reviewers mm-hmm. because it it was a home run. It was an awesome, awesome game. It's interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, of course, reviews being our main topic today, I don't put a whole lot of faith in, in reviewers. So 
This comes from when, when I was at college, I spent a lot of time. In fact, I go as far as to tell people that I have a film degree because I spent so much time studying film. And I rapidly lost faith in, in critics and reviewers. <laughs> um, and I think that sort of carried over to board games for me. I basically put no stock at all in reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, that I don't get from my friends now. So the ones that you cited just now, uh, Dice Tower, Shut Up and Sit Down, the, those are the those are two of the biggest board game review organizations, uh, for lack of a better word, that I can think of off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Have I listened to some of the stuff they have to say? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I when when a new game comes out and I'm just trying to learn about it, oftentimes for this show, I will go on and and listen to what other people have had to say about a, a game that we're that we're talking about that that particular month. But I don't. I find that I don't often agree with their assessments. For example, Eric and I have found that a, a mutual dislike for specifically the reviews from Tom Vassell. <laughs> uh, I I just don't agree with what with a lot of what he's ha- what he has to say. Right. Do, I, I mean, I'm sure I agree with some of it. I, I believe Sentinels of the Multiverse he liked, and I like that game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I prefer to get my reviews from different places. So I, we felt that this would be an interesting conversation. Why is it that you are can are you able to like sort of separate your yourself from a review and be like okay this is just one guy's opinion? Well, I it's interesting you say that cuz I watch a lot of reviews mm-hmm. and I don't I don't really put a lot of stock in any individual review. Okay. Uh like Sentinels you brought up. Sentinels is a game obviously we talk about all the time and a game that I really enjoy. The Tom Vassell really liked it, but the guys that shut up and sit down, their review sounded to me almost like they were playing a different game because their experience was so drastically different than mine. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then uh, the other, another one they didn't like was Defenders of the Realm, mm-hmm. which I really enjoy. I, I get Pandemic is probably a better game, but... Uh, they they absolutely just hated Defenders of the Realm, and I really enjoy it. Uh, it's it's like Pandemic, but fantasy and a little more dice rolling, so a little more luck involved. But at the same time, I've I've bought Splendor mm-hmm. on their recommendation, Arctic Scavengers on their recommendation, City of Remnants before I was really into Plaid Hat, uh-huh. based on their review, which I think is still one of the most entertaining reviews I've ever seen. If you if you just want to be entertained for twenty minutes. Uh, Shut up and sit down. City of Remnants review, fantastic. Mm-hmm. But so what I'll do is like I'll see. Tom, you know, you bring up Tom Vassell too, because I remember it's interesting because like Tom Vassell is hit or miss. The one that always stands out for me is Claustrophobia because he gave that a five out of ten, mm-hmm. and I think that game is way better than that. But like the other two big names on that, Z Garcia. Yep. Z likes very quick card games. Yeah. So his reviews, like I watch sometimes, but they're not really the kinds of games I want to play. Uh, I find my tastes fall more in line with Sam Healy's yeah. than the other two guys. But but even then, Sam will say things. I, I don't even remember what it was, but recently he reviewed a game, and I just completely disagreed with him on it. Right. So so I guess I'm saying this in the most roundabout way. Uh, I'm a little tired, so all of my speaking is roundabout tonight. Oh, <laughs> uh, happens. But, so what I'll do is if I see a review in a game I'm interested in, I can separate the game from the reviewer in a sense that if I know the reviewer well, I know, oh, they like this thing or they don't like this thing and my tastes might be different. So they might not like a game for the exact reason I might like the game. If I see somebody do a review 
and the game on its own looks interesting enough to me, I will seek out two, three, four other reviews. Now, I won't necessarily watch the full thing. Mm -hmm. I might fast forward to like final thoughts and they're like, oh, yeah, I would definitely recommend this or I have, if you've got this kind of group, I would say go ahead and get it. If you've got this kind of group, don't bother. So I might do that. I might just like, you know, the Cliff Notes version of their review. Okay, so that's but that's an interesting approach. It's kind of a general consensus. If everybody or mostly everybody seems to be enjoying something, I'll give it I'll give it more of a look. So when I when I watch a video or or read a mm-hmm. review, I have trouble, you know, sort of taking it in chunks like that. I kind of mm. dwell on I, and I, I I don't know why I do this. I I sort of dwell on the negative. I have trouble seeing the light at the end of the tunnel really speaking, mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh, well, I disagree with this bit or I just don't see how this could be, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, well, I disagree with this person, so I'm just going to write them off completely. And I mm-hmm. can't go back and then watch something else that they've done that might be completely different. Whereas when I take reviews from my friends, for example, uh, Eric is a great example of this. Eric goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> He's kind of like one of my sixth graders. He'll tell me everything I never needed to know about nothing. But... <laughs> When he's speaking to me in person as as a real conversational human being, I can sort of tune him in and out and and mm-hmm. sort of weed out the 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 gist of what he's trying to say, which is I think more or less what you're doing with with these video reviewers. Yeah, it's it sounds similar. What's interesting about an in-person recommendation though is I have the advantage of knowing you, yep. whereas the reviewers that we're talking about don't. Well, and what I mean by that is is they kind of have to just do a general audience review, whereas I could specifically say, play a game and say, I think Zach would really like this game, or I think Jesse would really like this game. Mm-hmm. But if I play a game and say, this is definitely not Eric's cup of tea or Joff's cup of tea or Megan's cup of tea or other names. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, I wouldn't even bring it up. Or I might bring it up briefly, like, yeah, I played this game, but it's... And that might be one where I only sell it. I might be like, yeah, I played this game, but it's got X, Y, and Z, and I know you don't really like that, so I don't think you'd really like it. Right. Or I could go, oh, it's ABC, and I think these are all things you would like. Mm-hmm. And then maybe, despite X or Y, I might bring up a little negative. But but I do have the advantage of when, you, when you're dealing face-to-face with people and people who know you and your tastes, they can kind of tailor their review to you and that's that you're right that's definitely something you can't get with an online uh, online interaction when you're just watching a video these people are i I mean i guess they're paid to do this and they're paid to you know (laughs) look at games and give them give the companies or the players or whomever feedback the the audience let's just call it the audience and they don't get to separate themselves from the job It, it, it is effectively a job for them whereas telling a friend that a game is good is just a friendly interaction in fact it's I would consider the, quote, right thing to do, unquote. Mm. And the the ability to sort of filter results extends to reviews that you'd find on BoardGameGeek as well. Mm-hmm. Because much... I, I got into an argument with some friends the other day over whether or not Wikipedia is a source. Um, <laughs> now, those who know me, I am a technology teacher. Wikipedia is not a source. It is a source aggregate. As long as you actually <laughs> bother to scroll to the bottom and look at the sources at the bottom. Otherwise, it's just a load of baloney. BoardGameGeek, in a similar way, is an aggregate of reviews, much like Rotten Tomatoes Mm. or Metacritic. It takes a bunch of different opinions, some you'll agree with, some you won't, and collects them into a way that you can sort of control F or command F, depending on your platform, through the reviews 
and find keywords that you are interested in. Things like core mechanics or gameplay or time limit or whatever it happens to be. And lately, I've found that Board Game Geek reviews are a lot more valuable to me than even interactions in person. When I go into a, a game store, I'm looking for something new, I can be like, all right, well, what is this, what is the review aggregate on Board Game Geek looking like? And that gives me a fairly good jumping off point to start my investigation toward a new product. I think that's an excellent point. If I see a game, like I'm in a game store and I, and I see a game I haven't heard of mm-hmm. and I'm interested solely on the box art. Right. You know, it's got good work. It gets me to pick it up, turn it over. One of the first things I do is pull out my phone and check out its BGG score. Yeah. I, I don't know about you. I don't put much faith in the geek score. For me, it's all about the public voting score. Yeah. Absolutely. The ratings. I will, I'll sort of look at both um, mm-hmm. just because, you know, the Geek Score does stick out like a sore thumb. It's right there in front of yeah. you. But, yeah. you know, yeah, the, the I'm looking right uh, I'm trying to look right now at the um, <laughs> <laughs> Red Dragon Inn one because it's, there we go. The Geek Score, it gives it a 6.6, but mm-hmm. the, the community is giving it fantastic ratings. You know, a lot of very high, or, or a lot of very high, you know, recommendations and and it breaks it down by by number of players which is very Mm. cool you know there's there's just a ton of information here if you take the time to look for it yeah yeah i mean i normally look at the community score i look at how many people have voted Mm -hmm. 10 reviews isn't really that useful right and then i'll look the other thing i'll do is i'll do the ratings breakdown yeah because you'll see a score of like 7.2 yep and then you go in and most of the scores are like seven and eight right and then there's a few threes and fours and twos and, you know, and then I'll, I'll read, I don't know, I'll read some of the comments, mm-hmm. but honestly, the tens and the one, unless I'm seeing a lot of tens and a lot of ones aren't really as useful yeah. as the nine, eight, sevens, sixes, fives. Yeah, I definitely put more, for more faith in a review that someone has taken the time to say this game is not perfect and here's why, mm-hmm. or this game is approaching perfect as far as i'm concerned and and this extends to the way i grade papers and stuff too a hundred or a perfect score is not possible because humans are not perfect there's always room for improvement so i don't think i've ever given a student a hundred on anything just like i don't think i would ever give a game a perfect 10 out of 10 there's always room for improvement yeah. well here's the thing so i i've only rated a few games mm-hmm. i actually gave scythe a 10 Mm-hmm. I've, I I don't normally rate my games, right. so I must have been in a mood when I when I did that. <laughs> um, but but even here, you look up, it's like the first eleven or twelve thousand are eight or higher. Yeah. Then there's fifty-seven one. You know, two point nine thousand tens and fifty-seven ones. Right. I mean that. Yeah. You know, Scythe is kind of I I bring it because it's such an easy. It's really one end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's the kind of thing I'm looking at. Like, what are the sevens, eight, and nines compared to the ones, twos, and threes? Yeah, and I find that in terms of like, in terms of terminology, it's actually not that different. People are talking about the same things. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking at this one two-star review, and he's he's only played the game a couple of times. Now, I feel like that's a little bit probably not enough to really give a, a good 
score to a game, and that's that's also the reason that I don't rate, rate a whole lot of my games is I don't get them to, get them to the table more than once in most cases mm. for fairly lengthy amounts of time. Like it took me a good couple of years to get Gears of War to the second to the table for the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, although now we're looking at playing it monthly because woo, and I just feel like that's unfair to the game to rate the to rate a game on one or two plays. You know what I mean? I do, but at the same time, just to play devil's advocate, you you just said there's a lot of games you only get to the table a handful of times yeah so a person's initial reaction how they felt about the game after playing it once or twice might be exactly the type of rating you need as somebody who might only play a game two or three times that's not a bad point i mean i haven't i haven't really thought about it uh it is it is nice to know a game a little better but i i don't think that having played a game fewer times is any less valuable information just the different kind of information because you can get a really great experience out of a game one two three four five times Mm -hmm. and then after that it might drag and be played out and you've seen everything there is to see so longevity is one thing but the initial just loving the game is something else and one of the problems of board game geek is it's the same number can represent both things yeah and i think that's that's where you kind of have to be a little discerning because I, I think yeah. you're right. I, I think there's there's a time, there's a, a place for I've only played this game once, mm-hmm. and it, it 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 speaks very loudly of a product. Like, is it worth playing that first time? And you just you kind of have to weed through it. For example, it's very easily illustrated by a conversation with a person. Eric came to me with a game a couple weeks ago, and he had played it all of once. And he was like, this game is really cool. We got to sit down and play it. And we did, and I was disappointed. Now, through conversations... And, Do you remember what game it was? Um, I, I don't. We talked about it a couple months ago. It was like a World War One game. Um, okay. But what we discovered was my lack of knowledge about World War One, or maybe it was, I guess it was World War Two. I'm sorry, World War Two. My lack of knowledge about it made it difficult for me to keep up with and uh, and to follow, and that was that made it less than exciting for me personally. Mm. Well, yeah, and that's interesting too, because. Take a game like the Command and Color system, mm-hmm. and we've talked about that game and that system a bunch of times. We'll take the most popular version, I'd say Memoir 44. Yep. A big fan of Memoir 44 plays Battlelore mm-hmm. and says, oh, it's just a ripoff of Memoir 44, which is a ripoff of Battle Cry, but whatever. Right, yeah, it's, yeah, it's ripoff <laughs> you know, after ripoff. Whereas somebody else might say, oh, it's just like Memoir 44, only I like it more because I like the fantasy theme mm-hmm. over. So so even then, I, it's I guess ult, ultimately what I'm trying to do, whether it's between friends, reviewers, things I'm reading online, the numbers I'm looking at on BGG, is an overall sense. Yeah. It's a community sense. There is no one person who can tell me, you need to buy this game because it's right up your alley. That's perfectly illustrated. I talked last month about uh, our friend Jody who has been bugging me for I'm not, I'm not making this up she's been bugging me for two years to play New Bedford <laughs> and mm. I finally broke at PAX and played it mm-hmm. not I, I, I don't even think I would have chosen to if, if someone had said here I need you to demo Fate of the Elder Gods for the whole convention I would have been like yes sign me up where, yes please mm. Or, or the same with Bottom of the Ninth. Like, I would have just done it. But we actually took the time to play everything that, that, that we were expected to know this year. And so I got to play New Bedford. And Jody was standing there right next to me. And I 
I had a big smile on my face the whole time. And she's like, see? And I, <laughs> I, I tailed between my legs, walked right up to the counter and bought it. But even then, it wasn't, it wasn't really even her recommendation. It was you having to try before you buy. Now, her, rem her recommendation might get you to try a game before another. You might pick New Bedford over something else because she says you really like New Bedford. Right. But, you know, we were talking about before the show started, we were just going over our notes, and I made that point where one of the problems, it's not like music or movies. So I, I, I can listen to songs and know I want to buy an album, or I can see a movie and know I want to purchase it or watch it again. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of board games. The first time I really have any experience with it is after I've dropped 40 50 60 $70. Yeah. And I'm sitting at the table. And by then... I've spent the money. Right. And that's, you know, that's 40, 50, 60, 70 dollars that you're not getting back. Yeah. And, and so in a ways, you kind of, you kind of have to figure out what works for you so that you can make the best investment possible. Right. I, I've mentioned this on the show before. I have, I do a lot of research before I buy any game. Mm -hmm. I just, for the most part, I just, I read reviews aside from a great sale, but I read reviews and I, I read articles and I'll sometimes watch, watch it plays or I'll try to find somebody who has it see if i can get it to the table and there's an interesting one too uh cosmic encounter yep which i've talked about before on the show and i finally got my own copy but i must have dismissed that game a dozen times mm -hmm. tom vassal has it as his number one every year and i'm like eh doesn't really look like my kind of thing and then shut up and sit down also put it as their number one game and then you start thinking they're in cahoots Blech. Well, I'm thinking maybe there's... And I, I remember, because you can do a wish list on BoardGameGeek, mm -hmm. and I actually put up a... I, I put it on my list as a thinking about it, which is a four, which is... It's a scale from one to five, yeah. one being best, five being worst. So four is really not great, but a thinking about it, and my little note, my wish list note, was number one game for both Tom Vassell and Shut Up and Sit Down. There may be something to it. Yeah. But even then, I didn't pull the trigger until John brought his copy over and I actually got to play it. And then I found it as a deal of the day on Cool Stuff Inc. Perfect. The stars were right. I mean, yeah, it just kind of all lined up. And now this game is on my shelf. But the road to get there was two, three years long. It was the same with me. And, and I guess I'm beating a dead horse here. But Arkham Horror, I was staring at it and staring at it and staring at it every single time I walked into jetpack comics while i was working there it was leering at me because i'd heard you know I, at college people were playing it at conventions people are playing it i've heard reviews i've read things this game is cool this game is cool it's about something you like and it took like a super sale for me to even pull the trigger on it yeah and now you know if richard lanius were to release a, another expansion i would be first in line yeah that's interesting you say that because i remember sort of back before even board game geek walking into the gaming store and really wanting a good board game but we didn't have the reviews like we do now mm -hmm. we didn't have board game geek as a resource but i remember seeing arkham horror and almost buying that but i wasn't sure it was going to be good game of thrones first edition yeah i can't tell you how many times i had that in my hand now it's on my shelf well second edition is on my shelf but without without those reviews to sort of give me, I guess, give me confidence in my purchase or hope, maybe. Yeah. But I never pulled the trigger. I never did until Board Game Geek came out and I was I was getting back in the hobby. But I, I, re I remember that. So I passed up on things because we didn't have these reviewers and these resources. And so we live in an age that 
resources are abundant and plenty. Well, I guess abundant and plentiful are the same thing. Um, <laughs> we live in an age that resources are abundant, and we have to develop a filter, much like much like you've described, where you are willing to put in a fair level of research before pulling the trigger. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I am guilty of, of pulling the trigger before before I maybe have all the information I can have on something. Hmm. Sentinels of Earth Prime went up on Kickstarter the other day, and someone said, it's the same mechanic, and it cross-plays with Sentinels of the Multiverse. I'm like, yep, done. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Uh, well, here the thing about that, though, is you buy a game just completely blind, mm-hmm. and it turns out to be great. Yeah. What an awesome feeling that is. Oh, it's a high. You know? It is I mean, a high. I can't say I've done all the research on every game I own, and but sometimes whether it's because you know the company or the designer or whatever, mm-hmm. you just pull the trigger before that and especially on the in the Kickstarter community, yeah. a lot of that research is available and then it turns out to be awesome. I mean, that's a win. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, there's no reviews. There's nothing there. There's yeah. So. It's it's totally raw. And Yeah. You know, we're, we're getting to that point where, uh, you know, a few people have asked us to, to take a look at a game beforehand or before it comes out. And mm. it, it's a little scary, you know, I'll be honest, going into a game with literal nothing, having no preconceived notions whatsoever and trying to be the people to tell people to, whether or not to buy things. And that's that's why we approach this podcast with a, you know, we're not going to we're not going to put an ABCDF rating on anything. We're just going to talk about our game experiences and how we felt. Because as we've said a couple of times so, so far in this episode, a lot of the time, we're not going to get enough time to play a game five, six, seven, eight times. Yeah. Especially in the, over the course of a month. And that is why we are a monthly podcast as opposed to a weekly. Oh, God forbid. Um, <laughs> and it, just because it gives us enough time to build up enough experiences to talk about for the course of an entire month. And again, too, whether you're gonna, whether you're going to look at a game or buy a game based on our recommendation, it's really no different than what I'm doing with Tom Vassell or the guys that shut up and sit down. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. If if you listen to the show regularly and you know, kind of the things I like and the things I don't like, and if if you find the things I'm saying that might really appeal to you or if you find your it's just useful it's a general it's a general very general recommendation Mm -hmm. or not yeah it's not a it's not even like like the shut up and sit down like stamp of approval we recommend this game it's not even that strict it's like i had a good time with this exactly should you buy it maybe not but if it's offered to play it go ahead and give it a try yeah whether you buy it or i mean that's totally up to you And, and i don't really go on trying to convince anybody to buy anything right i think when i'm talking and i I feel like you're the same way the when i talk about a game on here it is really a self-centered type of thing where this was my experience and then it's you as the audience member whether you relate to that or not is up to you yeah i guess i don't know i've never really put that much thought into it no i I think you're (laughs) exactly right and and I, i always really like these these episodes where um we can go deep on a topic like Mm. the impact of reviews or how how much kickstarter has impacted you know our ability to buy or or things like that because i always feel like we we've done some good to sort of justify our position in the podcast community i like i said one when i i I was into games when i was younger Mm -hmm. and i wanted to get back in the hobby and really didn't know where to start right because i didn't want to drop fifty dollars on something i wasn't going to play or like Mm mm-hmm and for me, a resource like Board Game Geek was invaluable. 
Right. Both in discovering games and seeing how well they were received in the community. Mm -hmm. Whether other people like them or not, or how much you care. And, and the other thing, I think the more I know about games, the less the reviews matter too. Yeah. I almost use some of them as commercials. And they can say, it's a tiling game, a drafting mechanic, this, that, and the other thing. And if that piques my interest, I'll learn a little bit more about it. Otherwise, yeah. moving right on. Yep. Yeah, I think I think that's a pretty good place to end it for today. Um, I think we've we've done our we've done our good deed for the month. <laughs> our due diligence. <laughs> uh, for now, if you want to check out some of the older episodes of the podcast, head on over to ghostshipradio.com and see some of our other work. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash another letdown is the place to be for that. Jason Hex is published monthly by Ghost Ship Radio and is produced by Another Letdown. If you have some feedback for us, you can reach us on Twitter. My name is at D-E-N-O-N-C-Z-D and Doug is at I-T-S-O-K-T-O-L-A-F-F and our hashtag is hashtag Adjacent Hex. If you liked what you hear, make sure you subscribe and share, to, share with your friends on social media and in person and we'd love it if people would share this on Reddit. That'd be pretty rad. If you have something a bit longer to say to us, Feel free to send us an email at theadjacenthex at gmail.com. Uh, I mentioned at the top of the show, but I am also streaming Sentinels of the Multiverse with the Handelabra Games channel at twitch.tv forward slash Handelabra Games. And we'll also be uh, streaming some stuff here and there at twitch.tv forward slash Another Letdown. From all of us here at Adjacent Hex, happy gaming, and we will talk to you next month. I also want to do a little shout out for Ghost Ship. Uh... Dan Knight, who is uh, one of the co-hosts of Banterbox Radio and uh, one of the guys who I work with for Vic Valentine, him and Anthony, who I mentioned early, I think they're starting another show that's going to be a little more pop culture focused. Ooh. Uh, and I think they recorded the first episode Sunday. They were scheduled to. I don't know if, if it happened or not, but I think they were supposed to. Um but if they did, hopefully that new show, a new addition to the Ghost Ship Radio Network lineup. Um, Welcome to the family, Anthony. Yeah. So so we'll see. Uh, I, I don't know when it's scheduled for release or if there was a major disaster and the whole thing's off. I have no <laughs> details. <laughs> hopefully not. But uh, just keep an eye out for that. Yeah, for sure. When, uh, when, when you're checking out Adjacent Hex and Vic Valentine and Banterbox.